From the music of the founder of Bluegrass Music, that's Bill Monroe, to the very latest contemporary bluegrass, Brownswound brings all varieties of bluegrass music to you. Hosted by Darwin Davidson, with lots of help from Karen Mulford, Marilyn Ryan, Paul Anderson, and other hosts, it all happens every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on Community Radio. That's WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. We look forward to seeing you every Thursday. WERU is made possible by the generous support of our listeners. Thank you. And we got just a little bit under a minute to go, a little bit over a minute to go. So let's take a quick look at the weather. We're going to be talking animals and talking with animals in just a little bit. Let's talk to animals. Comes up at 10 o'clock. In the meantime, let's take a quick look at the weather. Now until 6 p.m., flash flood warning. It's a watch. It's in effect right now. Rain for the day. Rain could be heavy at times. Patchy fog, highs near 62. South winds around 5 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation is 90%. New precipitation amounts between a quarter and a half of an inch possible. Rain before 2 a.m. tonight, then a chance of showers, uh, mainly between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. Partly fog before midnight, low around 49. Light and variable winds becoming south 6 to 13 during the evening and chance of precipitation is 80% tonight here in Orland. New precipitation amounts between a quarter and a half of an inch possible. Tomorrow, Friday, becoming sunny. High of 60, Friday night, patchy, patchy fog, low of 38, and it's time to talk with the animals. Good morning. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. This is our live once a month show at 10 a.m. on the fourth Thursday. And it is live uh, today. Uh, but I also want to plug my uh, Sunday show, Pet Sounds, which I've been doing for about seven years. It's a little short feature at 7.30 in the morning on Sunday mornings. And we have a lot of topics um, that are covered there. But let's get back to today. Uh, we have a guest here, uh, Heather Sprague. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. We're going to talk about rehabilitation. You got it. And there's a, before we get into the rehabilitation we want to talk about, I want to talk about misunderstandings, misunderstandings of rehabilitation. Um, some people may think if they go online, rehabilitation for behavior problems. So if they look up rehabilitation, it'll be behavior. We're not talking about this. We're talking about physical. Right. We're not talking about behavior issues, although something I have to deal with sometimes when I'm working with patients. Um, But uh, they... um, So... I think we got a little sound. Okay. You can hear me? Okay. I have a little mechanical difficulty. We're not mechanically inclined. So John, our engineer, is the one that's... uh, I think we're okay. I'm, okay, so uh, let's uh, let's go back a little bit yeah, so and just hear Heather Sprague um, from the VZ Veterinary Hospital. Yes, you're our you're their uh, rehab pet rehab person. Correct. Yeah. So tell me, as I do with all my guests, tell me um, how you got here from there. It's kind of a a long story, but I'll give you the shortened version. I initially went to school uh, at the University of Vermont for four years for physical therapy. Physical, for human physical therapy. For human physical therapy. Very good. And I graduated there in 2002. And when I got out into the real world and started doing it for a while, I, I realized this was not maybe what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I loved animals, and that was really where my passion lied. So I went back to school to be a veterinary technician. And after, Where was that? What school did you go at to? At the University uh, College Bangor. Okay. And that's through the University of Maine Augusta. It's the only one in the state. And loved it. But I, I did miss some of the aspects of rehab that I had gotten very fond of in the human world. So at that time, canine rehab was really an emerging field. And I really thought I could... I could do that, and it was certainly a passion and interest of mine. So, What year was that when you were interested in rehab? Like 2008, 10? I'm trying to get a, a, a feel of when rehab started to 
because this really is relatively new. Well, when I was in formal school, rehab, yeah, when I was in school for physical therapy at that time, human physical therapists could not work on pets; it was illegal. So, I would say probably. 2003 or four, okay. it started really kind of becoming a more emerging field. And so it's funny, when I was in school for physical therapy, I did a project on what I would do if I could do anything with my degree, and it would be working with animals. So it's kind of funny that I've ended up here. A long way to get there, but it worked out well. So I've enjoyed it. And uh, back in the prehistoric days when I went to vet school, that wasn't even... Really, really talked about formal re- rehabilitation. If you look online now, uh, there are some very um, substantial rehabilitation hospitals. Absolutely. Uh, down in Florida, I saw a couple down there. They're all yep. over. But, um, but if you are looking, if a pet owner is looking for rehab, um, of course you go to your veterinarian. Correct. And they will direct you to someone. But you need you you'd want some kind of quality control. So are there certifications for a rehab person? Do you get certified? Yes. How does that work? After I finished my veterinary technician schooling, I ended up going back to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville and taking their certified canine rehab practitioner course. I went to Tennessee for almost a couple weeks and took all of their modules. And there's 40 hours of observation time you have to do and case studies you have to go back, take a test, do a case presentation, and do a practical. So there's a lot to it. They want to make sure that when you're going back out and practicing rehab, you you know what you're doing. Um, just because you have an underwater treadmill or a therapy ball doesn't necessarily mean you can appropriately do what's best for the patient. You want to make sure they're safe. It's just like uh, coaching a like a track team, you yeah. kind of have to know. Kind of know a little bit. You what can't you're just doing. say go out and run, right? And I imagine your physical therapy education really helped you along in that Tennessee program. It really did. It really did. As a technician taking that program, uh, if I had not had had the physical therapy background, it would have been much more challenging uh, for me. But so there's a certified canine rehab assistant certification as well. Is that not as extensive? No, it's. Very similar. I haven't taken that program. That is, I believe, through the university, or excuse me, uh, the Canine Rehab Institute out of Florida. And for me as a technician, I'm not able to go through that program unless a veterinarian that I work with takes part of that program with me. So uh, the University of Tennessee program that I went through, I was able to go as a technician by myself. So um, first of all, remind my listeners, you can call in at 469 0500 that's 469-0500. Call in to make comments, um, ask questions uh, about uh, pet rehabilitation. Heather and I are here. We're not going to go any place for about an hour, uh, so please call in. Uh, getting back to the certification, um, as a CCRT, how much does a veterinarian have to be uh, monitoring you? Well, my certification is actually a CCRP. Uh, oh, CCRP. Yep, which oh, is so that's through, a different one. So that's through the University of Tennessee. Okay. The CCRT, CCRA uh, initials or certification is what you would get if you went through the Canine Rehab okay. Institute out of Florida. It's just a Where minor. Where veterinarians are involved. Yeah, okay. a, a very minor, uh, you know, point there, but okay. uh, basically all the very similar. Okay. Um, with supervision as far as a veterinarian goes for me where I am a technician I do need to be working with a veterinarian it's not me just making it up as I go Uh, we usually have a patient come in and be evaluated by a veterinarian first we develop a plan together and then I carry out that plan if I have any concerns or worries about how things are going then I will get a veterinarian involved in the situation so the advantage of certification is that when the veterinarian you and a veterinarian and the owner uh, develop a program and the veterinarian says okay I want to do this kind of rehab this this he can then be assured that you're going to be doing that correct rather than just kind of you going off and you got it yeah. having a cup of coffee or something like that. You. Okay. Okay. <laughs> correct which you'd never do no <laughs> so when you um you were working at VZ yep. did you uh when you first um worked at VZ was rehab there already or yes it was okay. uh, in a very uh, 
limited capacity because we did not have a dedicated space for a rehab program. Currently now we have a second building that Dr. Cloutier was able to acquire um, shortly after. Private home, right? It was actually a florist office or a florist business. Um, And so it was in need of a lot of uh, modification when we got it, but uh, it's a great space for our rehab program. We have a place now for an underwater treadmill that uh, Dr. Cloutier had bought a very long time ago in hopes that one day he would have the space for it. We'll talk about that a little later. Absolutely. Uh, so the, um, I would say, my knowledge, I don't think there are any other vet hospitals that have a formal rehab space around here. I'm not aware. I haven't really looked around. And there may be, so I don't want to step anyone's toes. Right, and neither I, do I. I, just, I but just know that. When uh, I first started, I know there were very few of us in the state of Maine that were certified to do canine rehab. And I should right. just mention, I, I keep saying rehab, Physical therapy is really a human term. It's it's meant only for human physical therapy. So when we talk about physical therapy-like situations for pets, we have to call it rehab. Well, also because from what I'm doing some research, rehab also includes a lot of different other modalities mm-hmm. like, uh, cro- like cold and heat and laser, mm-hmm. and that's all grouped into rehab as well correct so by using rehab that, that you can encompass all those other yes. other things yep. um, so we'll just continue to say rehab okay uh, so you you got into you started as a technician at mm-hmm. VC and there's some now the building so there was a little bit of rehab but dr. Cloutier really wanted to get this thing full-blown yep so when he bought that florist and redid it is that, that was when his you primary in? goal. Yeah, that was his primary goal. I went and did my externship right out of school at VZ Veterinary Clinic and loved it and really had a, a good connection with Dr. Cloutier because I knew that he did have this goal and interest in canine rehab, and he knew that I did as well at that point. And so it was a really a good match because uh, he knew that I was interested in getting certified, that I had a background in human physical therapy and it was just a good fit so so what does the before you get into we're going to get into who gets rehab Mm -hmm. but what does your facility have what do you have to offer for rehabilitation Mm -hmm. we have our underwater treadmill uh, that we use a lot for patients uh, which we'll talk about different reasons why we use that but we have therapy balls or fit ball, fit peanuts is what they call them. Uh, basically like a human physio ball. Mm-hmm. And we have a land treadmill, ladder, Cavaletti rails, wobble board, a lot of therapeutic exercise equipment for strengthening. Is it just one big room with all those things? It's one big room. Yep, one big room. The underwater treadmill and all of the equipment are all out in, out in the open, and it's a big wide space, so it gives us plenty of room to work. So <clears throat> if you're a client that needs uh, their pet needs a uh, rehab and there's a program set up and you start it how much is the owner involved in the rehab at the clinic they are, are primarily an observer but i'm always trying to teach them what i'm doing with their pet so that they can be doing it at home as well it's great when they come in on a regular basis but that's not always an option for people we have people coming from hours and hours away and for them to come twice a week for rehab isn't not feasible for them because of traveling and for finances whatever it is we try to make it work so that we can continue their therapy at home and when they're there I'm teaching them the exercises that we're doing and trying to helping them figure out ways they can do these exercises at home with a minimal investment. So aside from some of the fancy stuff like the treadmills. Right. Your objective is basically try to get them home. Yeah. Train them to get them and do stuff at home. Correct. Almost like physical therapists. Absolutely. When you go to a human physical therapist, they give you homework, and I give my owners homework, too, for their pets. Uh, (laughs) And they come back, and you see if they did it or not. Yes, yeah. (laughs) I always quiz them, what have you been doing? (laughs) And they look at you. They don't look at you in the eye. I try. Avoid the eyes. Because it is hard to, um, I imagine it's hard to... uh, have some pets do some of these things because they don't want to true emotionally and physically it hurts yes so of course um these are kinds of things you have to overcome yeah 
Thank goodness most dogs are food motivated and love the treats because we use a lot of that as our way to get them to do things, the exercise and, and train them to, to do what I'm trying to get them to do. But I do have the occasional dog that could care less about treats and is just so anxious that it really isn't a great fit for them. So we try to work around that and I teach the owner to do as much as they possibly can at home with them instead of having to bring them in. Uh, would Dr. Cloutier then prescribe some medication that give them, kind of calm them down so they're more receptive or does Sometimes. that not work? Sometimes. Uh, we often use uh, medications after surgeries, especially uh, cruciate repairs, FHOs, or um, fracture repairs, things like that, that obviously address pain. We want our patients to be comfortable. We don't want to use pain as a limiting factor to keep them from doing things that they shouldn't be. But we also have started using a sedative to keep them from being too active as well. We don't want them to be zombies, but we certainly want them to be able to maintain those activity restrictions so that they can heal and get better without you know, being too active. Well, and physical therapy of people. I recently had a hip replacement. Oh, so you had some. <laughs> and my, my physical therapy did not have treats for me. <laughs> no. He came to my house, no treats. I had to I had to do these things, no rewards. I know. Um, so we, I think we should talk to the physical therapist. I think so too. I certainly would go to the gym more if, if I had motivated. someone just like, you know, feeding me cookies yeah. the whole time. <laughs> Give me a little piece of cheese. Right. I'm okay. Um, and when he was showing me these exercises, it hurt. Mm-hmm. And he said, of course, I was on some Tylenol or whatever. But his answer was, well, it's, it's okay that it hurts. So we intuitively as human beings, so I'm doing these exercises and it hurts. Pain means stop. But the physical therapist says, no, you're okay. Right. Dogs don't have that thinking. So mm-hmm. now you have a, a dog on a, with a cruciate surgery or painful knee and you're trying to get him to use it in certain ways and it hurts. And the dog's natural tendency is to stop because pain you stop right so what how do you do you gradually is this a gradual thing just very small steps absolutely tell us about that let's say let's let's use a cruciate surgery okay this is a cruciate is a a little ligament in the knee uh you hear about it football players like tom brady and and the like and what happens is that this little ligament in the knee gets ruptured and it causes the knee to become unstable and the veterinarian does a surgery to stabilize it. But it's very painful, and, and there's a lot of things to do besides being very quiet after the surgery. So that's kind of the background of what a cruciate is. So yeah. cruciate surgery, two days later, a day later. Right. Walk us through a rehab. Sure. So that's primarily what I actually do for post-surgical rehab is I would say Maybe 90% of the patients I see are recovering from a cruciate surgery. It's very common. And so a couple days after a surgery, they're home with their owners. I see them about two weeks after their surgery. But while they're at home recovering with their owners immediately post-op, I'm having them do ice packing and some gentle stretching of the limb that they've had operated on and keeping them quiet. Also making sure that uh, they are walking on surfaces that aren't going to prevent them, you know, make them fall or slip and keeping them on a leash so that they're not, you know, chasing after squirrels and, and things like that when they're going out to the bathroom. But that's primarily what they're doing for that couple weeks in between leaving us and coming back for their recheck. When they come back a couple weeks later, our first rehab session really includes just checking out and see how well they're doing. How well are they using that leg? We want them putting weight on that leg, but in a controlled way. We don't want them jumping up and down on it or uh, running around all crazy, especially depending on the type of cruciate repair they've had done, because there are several different types out there. And when they come to me, primarily we're starting with just some gentle therapeutic exercise, standing exercises, weight shifting, working on their balance. So how do you do a, a, a weight shifting exercise? So describe that to our listeners. Sure. The cruciate ligament is in one of their hind legs. And for dogs, they bear 
primarily most of their weight on their front two legs. So when they have a surgery like the cruciate repair, they tend to shift their weight more forward. So what I'll do is I'll have to get them into a standing position and pick up one of their front legs to take away that stability for them. And they'll immediately shift their weight back onto their leg, their, one of their hind legs. And depending on which one you pick up, they tend to shift one way or the other. So it's a, a gentle way to get them to kind of encourage them to use that leg they just had repaired and realize, okay, I can use this. It's okay. It's, you know, not too painful. And the more we do that, the more comfortable they feel about using it more and more. So do you like do a set of 10? Like they're standing there, you pick up the leg for five seconds and then let it down, pick it up again. Absolutely. Okay. So it's just something no mat, no mystery. No, it's, just, it's, it's you just keep rip, very repetitive. Simple. Yeah. Okay. And I'm teaching the owner again, how to do this and what to be looking for, watching how the dog's moving and, and what we're looking to have the dog actually do. And primarily they do very well with it. Uh, it's very gentle and with their pain medication and other medications on board, they tolerate it very well. Every dog's a little different. So I may be able to do 10 or 15 initially with one dog, and then another dog just doesn't really like it, and we only get a couple in. So some dogs don't like their feet touched. So That's that can make it a challenge, and I have to constantly be adjusting my plan Lifting as I them go. at the elbow or whatever. Yeah. Also, uh, I, of all the cruciate surgeries I did in my career, uh, I saw, like you say, a variety of, of how the animal was responding to it. Mm-hmm. So two weeks later, I had some dogs walking some dogs three-legged yeah so when you see your patient and it's three-legged yeah do you change the way you do that particular rehab or or do you skip that one do another I mean how do you do you look as a dog walks in right are you changing plans as you're as they're walking in sometimes I try to get them I try to see how the dog's walking when they're getting out of the car. So when they're outside, before they even come into the building. So you're peering out the window? Yeah, I'm peeking out the window. Yeah, (laughs) I'm watching you. Um, Because they do walk differently when they're outside. You know, walking on grassy surfaces, tar is very different than when you come into a veterinarian's office and they have slippery floors or, or rugs, different smells, things like that. It tends to change how they be using that leg so I try to see how they're using it outside and at that point I'm already the wheels are going trying to figure out all right what are we going to do I don't want to do anything that's too strenuous and really too much for them at that point so so one of the first exercises is try to get them to put a little weight on that affected leg by lifting up a front leg yep what's another then what would be the second thing you would do well, I mean, not necessarily the second, right. but another thing. But some of the other early on exercises are a, a squat. And for a dog to do a squat, it's basically a really quick sit. You okay. know, we have them go to sit down. And before they finish sitting, I want to try to get them to stand back up. Ah, okay. So it's similar to a human. If they went to sit in a chair and didn't, and then they stood back up. That's basically a dog squat. Or incomplete obedience training. Yeah. You know, I've, trying to get I've a ruined to... a lot of dogs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <bet> you <laughs> Not, you know, owners haven't been thrilled about that, but. Because you're supposed to wait for them to touch yes, the ground with yes. their hineys, and they don't because mm-hmm. they're waiting for the treat, and that's what you want. Yes, okay. exactly. So, unfortunately, <laughs> it does untrain them to some degree, but I haven't had any too many, I shouldn't say I haven't had too many major complaints. <laughs> That seems to work well, though. Yeah. It kind of forces to use their quadriceps, their muscles. Absolutely. When they have the surgery, oftentimes people say, you know, my dog's leg seems to rotate out to the side. Right. And this, I find, is a good exercise to help strengthen those muscles to get that leg to rotate right. back into the proper position. What's another rehab exercise I for use a ladder. It, it basically is... Well, my dad helped me build. I say helped me build it, but really I just supervised. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Don't do it this way. I need this, you know, it needs to look like this. It looks it needs to look like the picture. <laughs> I have a very patient dad. Um, but I use a, a ladder or oftentimes people call them Cavaletti rails if they have them set up a certain distance apart. And that helps me, or I should say that helps the pet work on flexibility because they may still not have regained all of their range of motion that they once had after surgery two weeks out from uh, the repair. So we're constantly trying to work on making sure that we get as much range of motion back as we possibly can. So besides just 
rechecking their their range, we are doing stretches and things like that. This is a way to stretch and work on range of motion in a more active capacity versus having them just laying on the floor and us doing it to them. So they, so how, so they, so crawl. they're stepping over it. Oh, stepping over, not stepping, not, not going climbing. up. It's laying on the floor. Oh, okay. So if you think, if you picture a, a ladder, just a regular ladder, just laid out on the floor, and the bars that I have are a little, maybe a little further apart. Right. But forces you to. Yep. So it makes them out. shift their weight. So when they pick up a front leg to step over a rail, they have to shift some of that weight to the back. Right. And they're alternating between the two back legs. So we're trying to get them to use that leg more normally. So you're trying to get a dog to to walk a straight line mm-hmm. over rungs of a ladder on the floor. Right. Okay. So how do you do that? I know. Is food it's, the magic? It's you just, food is the magic. You just put the food right in front of their nose? and You know, I don't know. I think... Your relationship with the dog? Is that... Yeah. I mean, I'd like to say I have this, like, secret ability to get dogs to do things. But I really think primarily it's the cookies. Uh, but it's also how I use the cookies, where right. I place them, what I have to have them do before they get a treat. It's, right. it's timing. timing. Yes. yes. When you go to a, a physical therapist, they can just say listen, bend your arm like this, don't let me move it, and you know what to do. Part of canine rehab is teaching them also what I'm trying to get them to do. And, you know, getting them to walk on a a wobbly board is not something they've ever been exposed to before. So oftentimes it takes a few times, but they have to build up the confidence and understanding as to what I want them to do with that. So it does take a little bit of time, more so than you know, you or I learning something, but it uh, tends to go a lot quicker when we have good treats. So uh, two sessions uh, it takes, one or two, three sessions before they come in, like the third session, you show the ladder and they kind of, you show the food, of course, and they kind of know what they're going to do. Yeah. I have patients even at the end of the first session, they're very, you know, they're already, they're already getting it. it takes maybe five or 10 minutes sometimes to get them to learn an exercise that they're nervous about. But I mean, I do have dogs that will not do certain things and I just try to figure a different way to, to do that. So what's another device that's a uh, device. I don't know what you call them. Equipment, I guess. Equipment. Different equipment. So you got the ladder on the ground. Yep. Ladder on the ground. Uh, I made some PVC pipe. Uh, I don't know really what you'd call them. I guess sort of a Cavaletti rail in which you can lower and raise the height of, it almost looks like one of those things people hurdle over in track and field, but I can get them to scooch under it. So I'm working on crawling and getting them to bend those back legs and and really push off and strengthen them. Another kind of a squatting Yeah, it's not maybe one we do right off, but certainly one that we use as they're recovering. And then I mentioned a wobble board. Basically, it's a giant disc with a half a ball on the bottom of it. Oh, okay. So when they're walking across it, it's definitely not stable. It's wobbling. Well, how, how big is it? I'd say like it's probably two, maybe... Like big as the table? Or a, a little smaller than the table, probably like two feet in diameter. So enough three for them to diameter. put all four feet on yes. as they walk over it? I'd say the average lab can stand on it completely, you know, with all four feet. It must be a little scary for them. They yeah. step on it, all of a sudden it moves. Yes, I'm certainly helping them. I'm not letting it just wobble uncontrollably while they're on it, but I have my foot on it, keeping it a little bit more stable. Once they get used to it and are comfortable stepping on it, then I'll let up a little bit on my foot, and, and eventually they're just walking on it without any hesitation. So how do you prevent them from cheating? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Because they can go over the wobble board three, three Absolutely. Legs. Yes. And then they're all happy looking for their <laughs> like, treat. Okay, where's the cookie? Yeah, where's the cookie? Um, most dogs, what they try to do is go around it. <laughs> they're like, no, no, I can get no to treat that treat if I just go around it. <laughs> right. I don't have to go across they it. They are dummies. No, they're not. They're very smart. Uh, I usually have, I position it so that the owner's on one side, I'm on the other, and they can only get to the other side by going across it. So it's positioning, usually. Oh, okay. <laughs> very smart. Very yeah. good. And they've figure out that they're not they do they're like oh i always move the cookie if it's you know not gotten to by going across it if they go around (laughs) it disappears we're talking um 
with Heather Sprague from the BC Veterinary Hospital. She's an animal health technician, specializes in pet rehab. We're talking about uh, cruciate surgery rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is WERU 89.9 Orland, Maine. And we are live. If you have any questions about rehabilitation uh, that we haven't touched upon yet, uh, please call 469-0500, 469-0500. love to hear your comments or questions. But until then, we're going to continue to um, discuss. Uh, we're, we're using the cruciate surgery as kind of an example of the different things you do in rehab. Right. And I should make a point, too, that there are different types of surgeries to repair this injury. Right. So that does play a role as far as how we recover a patient. We primarily at VZ do extracapsular and what's called a TTA. Mm-hmm. So those two procedures are very different. One requires putting in some hardware and cutting some of bone and, and making some more uh, invasive maneuvers, mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. And the other one is a little less invasive. So depending the, the, the lateral, extra cap- lateral implication. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's my, my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they do have different um, post-surgery correct. R- results. Correct. So with the TTA where we've cut a little bone and we've put some hardware in, we really need to make sure that those patients are as quiet as they need to be until that bone has healed. Whereas with the lateral suture technique, which we initially started with, we've just recently introduced the TTA to our clinic. But that procedure we're a little less concerned if something should happen early on. You know, yes, it might give the pet a little setback, but we're not as worried about risk of fracture like we would right. potentially in the TTA. Right. So uh, after you've had the dog do some of the ladder, and mm-hmm. the, what would be the next step? Uh, so we also have an underwater treadmill that... I would use early on in their recovery. Okay, explain uh, what that looks like. <laughs> it sounds like, like something out of medieval. <laughs> it does. People are very interested in it when they walk into the, the building, and it usually smells like a pool. Like chlorine? Like chlorine. We don't use chlorine, but we use bromine. Bromine, okay, good. Which is very similar, but it's a little safer, or less harsh on their skin. And it looks like a giant fish tank, I guess I would oh. say, with... Uh, so three sides of it are see-through, and on the bottom is a treadmill. And there's a door on one end, and on the other side of that is a holding tank that holds all the water. And when I get a patient in, I get in usually with them initially, the first several times, if not all the time. And we get in, kind of let them get used to it. With no water in it. No water. Okay. Nope. Get in without any water and lock us in. And then once they've kind of settled, I'll start adding the water to it. And I get it to a level, depending on what we're trying to accomplish. Right. The, the, the depth of the water the depth of the is water. very important in the mm-hmm. stage of rehab you're doing, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. It's usually higher when we first get started. Depend- less weight. Depends. Less weight. Yep. Okay. It un- uh, takes the weight off joints a right. bit more, the higher the water. And so once I get the water to the right level, I start the treadmill. Oh, you, do, you don't start the treadmill first without water? Nope. I do the water first. Okay. And then I get the treadmill going. Why is that? I think it's easier for the patients to get used to the water first and then to start the treadmill because if they're having a hard time walking and I start the treadmill, they're fully weight-bearing on all of their joints. Uh, okay. If I have the water up already, they're a bit supported by the water, and so the starting of the treadmill is a little bit less jarring actually- on them push off the treadmill yeah. not be on it yeah as much. get a lot of dogs that want to float <laughs> or swim <laughs> in the smallest amount of water so that's always a challenge but we uh again use treats and things like that to get them focused on this you know i guess they're focused off of this weird thing that's moving underneath them i mean dogs are never usually in that kind of situation where all of a sudden the ground is moving beneath the them yeah and the water so that I think probably has the biggest learning curve to it for dogs to get used to. Do you need two people, or do you have uh, control of the water and the speed of the treadmill in, with you? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I do. Yep, there are little buttons while I'm that I can reach while I'm in the underwater treadmill, and okay. I can adjust how fast they're going, the height of the water. If they start swimming, then I can lower it to the point where they start walking again, and 
really just constantly be adjusting it as I need to. Now, does the treadmill, as it's running, does it actually cause a turbulence in the water? So is there kind of like a water jet effect? There isn't a huge one in the model that we have anyways. The They certainly make newer versions Yeah, the water now. jets, like, your, like those swimming pools you see. Like the endless pools. Endless pools. Things that like you, that. Yeah, okay. Yep. You, where you can swim against resistance. Right. They certainly have those out there. Ours does not have that. But I haven't found that it's something I wish we'd have, you know, we would have in most of the patients that I'm using it for. If I can get it up fast enough, then they're getting a bit of resistance against the water anyways, just walking. But so the, the turbulence, there really isn't as much turbulence as you would expect. No. From the, no, the it's basically if you're just, if you imagine yourself walking in shallow water, that's typical of, of what they're experiencing. Now, are you uh, standing on the treadmill, too, or are you on a little platform? I'm a, I have two little strips of uh, platform that I can put my feet on uh, on either side of the treadmill so that I'm not moving and I can well, be stable and, and help the yeah, dog. You, you can cheat. You're not you're not getting the treat. <laughs> no, that's so right. So you can cheat. I, I don't, that's you know, okay. that's right. You don't need to be doing that all That's day. right. <laughs> Very good. So uh, for a cruciate, would that be something you would introduce weeks later? Is that kind of an end, is that an end stage rehab? No, there's stages of rehab, right? There's post surgery, then there's kind of middle, then there's the end, trying to get them home. Right. So, kind of talk about that if you can so, using the treadmill as an example. Okay, we certainly want to make sure that the incision that we've created for the surgery is healed uh, before we get them into the underwater treadmill. Uh, so that's one thing that we, you know, take into account when they're not using a limb as much as I'd like them to, that's when I'm using the underwater treadmill. And that's fairly early on in their recovery from rehab. We may use that for a month or so. And then once they're using that leg better, we transition to more land-based exercises and possibly the land treadmill that we have. So really the underwater treadmill is just one of those tools that we use more early on than we do as they're getting much better. So it's a good it's a good segue into the land. Yes. Treadmill. Yes. Okay. So it does help. Mm-hmm. That way. Um, so the the land treadmill is you pretty much use those all the time too. Yeah. It really depends on what I'm trying to accomplish and the dog. I have some dogs that are terrified of water, and we've tried the land treadmill or the underwater treadmill, and it just doesn't work. Uh, I don't want a dog to be so terrified that they don't want to come back or hurt themselves because they're struggling to get of right. the the treadmill. But I tend to use the land treadmill more for dogs that uh, are already bearing fairly good weight on their leg. And I'm just trying to work on endurance or even more weight bearing and, and making things a little harder for them. So it's more of a upper level, I guess, activity as far as when it comes to the cruciate repair. So of course, my listeners probably would want to ask, but they're not calling. So I'm going to, <laughs> so I'm going to ask. Okay. Uh, any unusual, funny, weird things that happened with the underwater treadmill? Something that just was out, like hmm. you can't believe this happened, kind of thing. Or are you pretty? Uh, you keep things so well in control that nothing. Well, I don't have any crazy stories, I would say, but I have some very memorable patients that I've used the underwater treadmill with. I, I would have to say part of why I love rehab so much is that I really get to know my patients so well because in day practice, you know, they come in for a, a short appointment and they're off and who knows when you're going to see them next. When I see them routinely every week or a couple times a week, you know, I really get to develop this great bond with them and, and also their owners. So I've had several clients that have been bringing their dogs, not so much now, but early on when they had a pet that needed my services, they were coming twice a week for years. And so I had one owner that whose dog really got unfocused when they were in the underwater treadmill. And we were in there for probably half an hour, 40 minutes sometimes, because that's really the only exercise they could comfortably do. And it was really the only exercise uh, that we could do for a long period of time to work on strengthening. And so he devised this neat little tool, I guess, to attach to the underwater treadmill that would hold a Kong, which is a a cone-shaped 
dog toy Mm -hmm. and they would bring it every time they came and they would fill it with peanut butter and for the entire time that dog was constantly getting a constant infusion of peanut butter (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's funny because I think that's the only dog that would just not even care about being in there because the peanut butter was definitely a bigger reward than being in there. Who cares about the water? And I have some dogs too that just come running over to it it's like let's get let's go let's go they just love the water so but i I've, i definitely have memorable patients that uh, i'll never forget that i've i've used the underwater treadmill for a lot of a lot of sessions for them so what's the smallest dog you had in the, in the water oh treadmill? my goodness i had a little chihuahua i did have really? a chihuahua once in the, in, in the underwater in the, treadmill yep. You know, little dogs sometimes have issues with luxating patellas. Yeah, yeah. And, slippery kneecaps. Yep. And we tried it, and it really, it went fine. But, of course, with little dogs and the, the length of the treadmill, they figure out very quickly that they can just stop and have a little rest. <laughs> and ride. And then run, and kind of go a little quicker and, like, catch up, and then they stop. So they kind of ride the treadmill. They ride the treadmill back. back. So <laughs> that's why it's good that I'm in there. To prevent that from happening as much as possible. So a little sprinting, interval sprinting. Yes. <laughs> See, that's that's not bad for track. Yeah, right. But not for luxating. Not for patellas. luxating patellas. So with your therapy, the manual, you're doing manual therapy, you're looking at balance and proprioception mm-hmm. and strengthening, joint mobilization, range of motion, mm-hmm. how, um, uh, massage. Do you do any massaging? Yeah, we... Like well, uh, we, re- re- what's that called? Uh Reiki. Reiki, do any of that? I don't do any of that. But, and I use massage to some degree, but primarily when a dog post-surgery comes to us, or comes to us and then post-surgery, that's when we're teaching the owners how to do that massage for recovery. When they come to see me, I'm trying to do as much as I can that the owners maybe necessarily can't do when they're at home. I'm trying to do as much of that stuff as possible, but there are some dogs where I have really focused on massage because they needed some, you know, their muscles worked out before they could work better and get ready for exercise. Other um, patients that you've had besides the cruciates, um, the kinds of things I was thinking of is overweight dogs, senior dogs with arthritis, Mm -hmm. athletes, um, injured animals, car injuries. Uh, neurological disease. Mm-hmm. Do you work with uh, dogs with uh, paralyzed legs? And what do you do with that? Do yeah, I see all different types. Uh, I did mention that primarily we see a lot of post-cruciate repairs, but really so many dogs can benefit from rehab. The older arthritic dogs are probably the second most um, seen dog that I, I take care of. But, you know, we don't do a lot of neuro rehab. I've, I've definitely worked with some dogs that have had, um, for better, lack of stroke, for you know, right. layman's terms, but um, and are recovering from that. But primarily, we sort of refer that down to Southern Maine, where they do more neurologic rehab down that way, or I should say, surgeries and things like that, where they deal that, with that on a more constant basis. Well, how about a post-surgical disc? Like a, a dachshund, yep. slip the disc, they go down south, Dr. Potoff, Pot if, yep. if he's still working, I, okay, yep. um, re, you know, repairs the disc or removes it, yep. then sends them home. Mm-hmm. Would they come to you? Sometimes they do. To, would you do an underwater, that'd be a perfect candidate for underwater? Yeah, underwater treadmill, <clears throat> and then strengthening their core, certainly with long-backed dogs, like dachshunds or corgis or, you know, even basset hounds, things like that, making sure they have a nice, strong core. I know human physical therapists always talk about having a good core to help your back and it's the same with dogs. We want to make sure that everything's as strong as possible but we have to do it in a gentle way initially and make sure we're not doing anything too strenuous depending on what they've had repaired or injured and a lot of times with those I'm following more detailed instructions from the veterinarian at that point. Uh, they're telling me, you know, I can't do a wobble board until they're so many weeks out, or I can't do jumping or, comp- you know, more high-impact exercises until they're several months out or things like that. So it just depends on on really where they're at when they come to see me. And sometimes it's 
pretty soon after they've had a, a surgery and, and sometimes it's further down the road and they thought, boy, I, I thought I would get more back after the surgery and there's some things we still want to work on. And, and so they come to see me and see if we can get some of that back. So you mentioned um, core, mm-hmm. strengthening the core. Yes. Uh, as you know, with people, sit-ups and planks mm-hmm. and certain weights. Uh, a lot of the rehab things that you've been telling me about have, have a lot to do with balance and stretching. Mm-hmm. So how do you strengthen muscles in rehab? So to be honest, when I'm doing a lot of these balance exercises, they kind of have a double effect. You know, when a dog is challenged by their, you know, if I've got them on the wobble board and I'm challenging their balance, they're putting more weight on a limb, which is helping them develop strength back in that leg. Primarily, though, when I'm doing core work, I would use my Fit Paws peanuts uh, the most. And, and those, those are those, I guess they're the most, if you think about those physio balls, big giant rubber um, physio balls that people would sit on or do stretches on, they make those for dogs. But instead of it being a round ball, it's more in the shape of a peanut. And that shape allows them to actually stand on it in a more natural stance than trying to get all those feet on a a tiny little surface. So that really, as soon as they stand on one of those, everything's, as far as muscles, they're, they're tightening everything. And it's amazing how much it tires them out, how quickly, because they're working so hard. So it doesn't take a lot to do that, but that's a lot of what I do when I have those long back dogs. I try to do as much as I can with wobble, you know, the wobble board, the balance, fit paws, peanuts, and, uh, maybe balance discs, things like that. So what different kinds of things do you, do you use for the arthritic dog, the old arthritic dog that has a any one of the joints, elbows, mm-hmm. hips, knees, yeah. back? I mean, what do you... That's, that's a great underwater treadmill okay. patient uh, because not only are their joints being supported in the water, so they're unweighted a bit, so they don't have as much force going through their joints when they're walking. The water's also warm, so it feels good to their joints, and it's it's helpful for that as well. I keep the water anywhere from 82 to 86, 88 degrees, so it's it's comfortable. You know, it's still, it's not hot by any stretch, right. but but it's certainly comfortable to them, so it feels like a good environment for them to move their joints. This is uh, Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras, WERU 89.9 in Orland. We are live talking to Heather Sprague about pet rehabilitation. If you have any questions, call 469-0500 or any comments or stories. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, we'll continue to uh, talk about different kinds of rehab. Mm -hmm. How about for overweight dogs? Do you Overweight pets are oh uh, boy, yeah. it's, it's uh, epidemic. Yeah, and I mean, kinda... you would have a line out the door if everyone came. <laughs> right, supposed to be coming for weight right. loss. I don't see a lot of dogs for rehab for just being overweight. It's kind of something that I'm also working on because most of the dogs that I'm seeing for cruciate repairs are also that's one of the compounding factors that right. has gotten them sort of in trouble, I guess, but. So we're we're always looking at that as part of treatment. So even if they're coming to me for a cruciate repair or some other type of surgery and they are overweight, I'm also working with the owner trying to educate them about how to maybe switch out some treats and decrease food and different uh, ways to exercise pets uh, that can be done comfortably and I guess that is well received. <laughs> uh, so you do a little bit of nutritional counseling. Yeah, yep, and that's part of my tech side of things as well. Right. You know, that's good. Yeah, so we can, can combine that. Yep. We do have a caller, Lindy from Southwest Harbor. Good morning. Do we have Lindy on the? On I'm myself the... wishing I was your dog <laughs> because uh, you take you're so loving towards them. Thank you for doing that work. Um, I just appreciate it, and um, not many people. Uh, I've had terrible experiences with vets, and um, so your <clears throat> depth of your work and your kindness and compassion is really profound. Um, where do you practice? I work at VZ Veterinary Clinic. 
located in VZ, Maine. I'm said that where again? VZ. Oh, VZ, yeah. Yep, and it's sort of right between Bangor and Orono. Right, okay. And and um, will you say your name on there? I, I'll, I'll get off now, but would you say that again uh, uh, off the air so I can get a pen and write it down? Sure. Uh, my name's Heather. Heather. Yeah, and I'm a technician and CCRP at VZ Veterinary Clinic. Oh, oh, yeah, I've heard of that place. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. Oh, and you're very welcome. God, God has blessed you and the kindness and compassion that you show for the animals. Oh, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thank bye. you for calling. I appreciate that. So the, uh, getting back to athletes, have you, have, have you ever mm-hmm. had athletic dogs? Uh, like, well, I guess the athletes would be hunting dogs. Yep, I um, have had. Beagles, yeah. labs. Yep, I have had a couple hunting dogs uh, that have had some injuries that I've worked with. Also, agility is a, a big thing that oh, owners right. like to do with their pets. Yeah. Uh, there's some other sport, pet sports that you can do, fly ball and uh tracking, all sorts of different uh, pet activities that you can do. And over time, that repetitive concussive forces on their joints can start to show. So definitely uh, trying to work with the owner in ways to minimize that. Also recovering from those types of injuries so they can get back to, to competing. Definitely I've seen those. I actually did my observation hours from for my course for canine rehab at a place called Wizard of Paws <laughs> in <laughs> Connecticut. And my instructor was actually the one that runs that business. Her name's Deb Saunders. And she primarily sees a, a lot of agility and, and show dogs and sporting dogs. And that's a that's pretty much all she sees. I shouldn't say that. She she's just a good population of what she sees are very active dogs. And uh, for us it's a smaller portion as far as, you know, again, postoperatively and old arthritic dogs are mainly what I see. But it's fun to have the, the a, a different case every now and then right. to kind of keep the, the creative juices flowing because you do have to be very creative in this position. <laughs> How about uh, fractured bones uh, after they've healed? After they've healed, yet getting back range of motion is important and strength and getting them back to doing what they like to do. Good, good. Um, so you you say you do uh, some massaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else you do? Heat. Yeah, we you know we use a lot of those types of things uh, post-operatively. You know, when we do a cruciate repair, we have ice on that joint while the dog is recovering to really help work on inflammation. If a dog comes in to see me. On an outpatient basis, we may need to to warm up a joint before we get started, and, and sometimes we'll start with warm packing. But primarily, we I use that mostly when I'm seeing dogs immediately post-op as far as the cold therapy, and I'm instructing owners how to use cold and warm therapy at home appropriately and when to start using it. Talking about home rehabilitation, mm-hmm. um, there are probably a lot of times where People are just looking for information. Mm-hmm. They can't maybe afford to come to rehab. Absolutely. It could be a, a money thing. It could be a distance thing. They live in yep. Bangor. It's too far away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so do you have a, a time where you have some phone consultations with with people I to try kind of talk to them about what kind of rehab can be done at home and, and what do you tell them? Yeah, Absolutely. I definitely don't want anybody to feel like they're by themselves and and trying to figure this out on their own. So when they come to see us for, you know, whatever, some help to figure out what's going on and whether they can or cannot come back after a surgery or or whatnot for rehab because of finances or distance, I'm always keeping tabs on everybody for quite a while, actually. I, I do recheck calls and making sure that you know, things are still going well, if they're using their legs the way they should be, monitoring how far they're walking and what the owner's doing with them at home for activity and trying to help them say, you know, your dog is so many weeks out from surgery, probably not a great idea to be walking five miles at this point. You know, it's too soon for you to be doing that. And so I'm trying to prevent things from happening over the phone by 
modifying what they're doing or, or changing it a little bit. So oftentimes if I can, I try to get them to come in for just one session so I can teach them some things. And then uh, I check on them regularly uh, via phone conversations or email and, and keeping tabs on them that way. Do you have at, at, at the time of the, let's again, using the cruciate uh, at discharge, mm-hmm. of course we throw them a lot oh, of stuff. A lot of information. Do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a specific rehab sheet yeah, that they you go do at home. home? Yeah, they go you home with some you can paperwork. Do, okay. And, the, the, and these are exercises that I, I hate, hate to use exercise, the word exercise, but therapy things that, mm-hmm. sh- that they can do at home yes. instead of coming. Yeah, so the, we go over the stage, the early stages of rehab, and I show them exactly what to do and, and how to do it and answer any questions they have. And then um, discuss that further on, these are some of the exercises that you can do, it, it, for especially for those people who aren't able to come back, because we do have a lot of people come to see us from quite a distance. And how do you feel people do, how do you feel the clients do when you give them a, a really rigid, uh, spelled out rehab program at home versus what we used to do is I would tell my clients, you know, leash walk for five weeks, yeah. you know, no, no running, jumping, right. blah, blah, blah. Um, do you get a better um, sense of compliance? I think of for compliance, the most part, or? owners like to have some direction. They, do, they don't want to be doing something they shouldn't be doing. So while it's a lot of information to send home with them, I find that they'd rather have it there for them to refer back to than to not have much instruction at all. So we do so give, have something to do yeah, rather than figure out yeah, and on then, their own what they can't or can do. Right, and then okay. find out that it was maybe not the right thing to be right. doing. <laughs> so, so when they do run five miles and go out uh, <laughs> duck hunting, it's not on that sheet of paper that you had. No. Oh, okay. no. So of course, they wouldn't admit that either. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I sometimes stumble across some things that... <laughs> And I can't blame the clients all the time either because the dogs, especially with medications, absolutely no pain. They fear they feel they're all better. Things happen, and yeah, we yeah. and we expect that, and yeah. we just work with the owner to get them through that little setback. And you know, we tend to have pretty good results. So, so what do you think? Um, where do you see this rehab, your particular rehab mm-hmm. situation? Because uh, I was reading about there's electro acupuncture, there's thermal heat, cryotherapy, uh, ultrasound therapy. There's all these modalities. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to talk about that, but where do you see the VC rehab in five years? What kind of new things you, do? are oh, you boy. trying to push Dr. Cloutier into? Because <laughs> I know you got to push it. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know. I think for me... Well, first off, probably a lot of people know or have heard laser. That's it's a, a big tool out there right now. Um, but we get such – I feel like I get pretty good results from having the treadmills, the therapeutic exercise. I think ultimately I'd maybe want to do ultrasound and maybe neuromuscular stimulation for some dogs that maybe need that as well. Did you hear that, Dr. Cloutier? <laughs> I will send this tape. <laughs> Because I don't think, I don't think you're gonna tell him that to his <laughs> no. face. So I'll, I'll call him. Oh, up he's really him. good. He's good at at, at, saying, at being receptive to, yeah, to yeah. ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have just uh, one more minute. So okay. I want to thank you. Oh, thanks for having for, me for coming here, um, uh, Heather Sprague from the VC Veterinary Clinic, uh, who is the primary mover in the rehab, and it is a very important part of, of medicine. And I'm glad it's being. Um, practice more and you're treating it as part of a hospital goings on and I think that's that's you know, fabulous. People spend a lot of money on helping their dogs yes. and in surgeries especially and so to just stop after surgery it's it really doesn't benefit the pet, you know, you wouldn't go and have a surgery yourself without often having follow-up care afterwards and and right. that's really important the follow-up care. So You're the same as us. Yes. Same as us. So I I think we're going to uh, sign off. I just want to remind my my listeners that next month on November is is Thanksgiving, and I pre taped a show with um, uh, Brad Allen, a, a wildlife specialist, and we're going to talk turkeys. So you can listen uh, in Thanksgiving morning about turkeys.
So until then, this is uh, Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. John Hunt, your host. Until next time, enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug. Quick announcement before we continue on uh, with uh, the next programming. Uh, Flash Flood Watch is continuing now. We have an additional one to two inches of rain will fall today, resulting in rainfall totals of three to four inches across the watch area. Through today, locally higher amounts are possible. Flooding of small streams and low-lying areas is possible through this afternoon. Fallen leaves clogging drains may exacerbate the flooding in some areas, so precautionary preparations a flood uh, flash flood watch means that conditions are developing that lead to flash flooding flash flooding is a very dangerous situation you should monitor later forecasts and be prepared to take action should flash flood warnings be issued weru is made possible by the generous support of our listeners thank you As the fall colors begin to fade, so does the congestion in Acadia National Park. But in recent years, the high volumes of people accessing both the park and the surrounding Mount Desert Island towns during the summer and shoulder seasons has caused increased traffic, overloaded parking lots, and, many would say, a decreased visitor experience. The Park Service is looking for solutions to better manage the movement of people and their cars throughout this finite island, and Bar Harbor's business community is watching. This is Natalie Springfield.